Welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Jake Runyon. And joining us today to talk about the volume two of The Shepherd, The Path of Souls. We've had uh, Andrea on before to talk about volume one, while he and his son Roberto are returning to talk about volume two. We welcome Andrea and Roberto Molinari. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Thanks My a lot pleasure. for having us. We're going to have a good time today in the Retro Roundtable. Uh, it was just recently, 25 years since Mrs. Doubtfire came out, and I thought, oh, wow. hey, we need to talk realize. Robin Williams. I don't think yeah. we ever have. Maybe we have here and there. I think uh, we've probably brought him up now and again. But... Yeah, but never as uh, like the main topic to the retro. So uh, I think I think it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, who doesn't love Robin yeah, Williams, yeah, right? Serious. Come on. Absolutely. Then in the comic vault, gentlemen, what do we have to talk about? I got a little something called Batman The Deal. A completely unofficial, like, fan fiction-style short comic that made serious waves. Like, the uh, the impact of this comic was pretty huge. People are, I guess, still debating, you know, whether it's it's genius, whether it's ridiculous. I I think it's a little bit of both in the best way. I think I just saw something about that today. Didn't look into it, but just, like, the name sounds very familiar. Hmm. Sounds good. What about you? Uh, one from Dark Horse called Sword Daughter. Cool. Just two names thrown right together. Or two <laughs> words, rather. <laughs> Looks intriguing. Mm-hmm. Sword Daughter. A few of the Pizza books. Helmet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> a few of the titles we'll be talking about there. And then we're going to turn our full attention over to Andre and Roberto and talk The Shepherd, The Path of Souls. Uh, before I pass it over to Jake, though, I have to just tell our listeners really quick. If I'm acting at all weird today or my... Disclaimer. (laughs) Yeah, big disclaimer. My speech is slurred. I just had a root canal a few days ago, and I've been in some crazy pain uh, I'm still dealing with. So I'm on some happy pills right now. I don't remember what they're called, but they end in heroin, I think. (laughs) So so, uh, I'm I'm feeling kind of uh, loopy. So if I say anything weird, that's why, okay? It's going to be a fun episode. Perfect retro for uh, Robin Williams. Hey, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. So uh, anyway, let's kick it to Jake. Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Mm. These are the three things that really keep us alive. They're the Triforce. I already made that joke. But it bears mentioning again, because it seriously. Works. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so please do follow us on all of our social networking outlets. Uh, on Facebook and Twitter, we are at CannedAirPod. On Instagram, we are at Canned underscore Air. Um, like and retweet and share, and we'll do the same. I like to think we're pretty good about interacting with the people who interact with us, mm-hmm. right? I mean, oh, yeah. We tend to reach out a little bit. So by all means, let's, let's make this a partnership rather than a... Uh, Let's call it, you know, a boss-worker relationship. It's, it's a little too formal. We're friends. Please follow us on Twitter. Facebook says we reply in minutes. Oh, that. Like Very that. special. I wish I could say the same for email. I'm a, I'm bad at email. I fail at email. It takes me days to get back to people sometimes. Especially that one where there's like, hey, you're a match for as a kidney donor. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whoops. 
Uh, what else have we got? The Patreon page. Go to oh, Patreon. Uh, throw a few dollars down for five bucks a month. You're in on the Patreon pod. It's a whole other show we do that you can only get on our Patreon page. And, and it's uh, worth it. It sounds silly for me to tell you that, but it we, is. We, yeah, it's, uh, you know how this show every week follows a structure. That show is just kind of off the rails and does what it wants, and we've gotten a lot of compliments on it. So yes. It's jazz. The jazz, jazz. of podcasting. Yeah. There you go. So head over to Patreon, $5 a month, get you privy to that show. Good use of privy. I like that. Like that? Yeah. It's a nice touch. And if you're going to a Wizard World convention in the upcoming uh, future here, use Wizard, or excuse me, damn it, use Canned Air at checkout with no space to get a cool 10% off your tickets. Uh, Pay a mere nine-tenths of the actual price. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound as cool when you say it. That you're way. welcome. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what we're doing for you. Can dare bump. Anything Hooray. else, guys? Uh, no, I think that's about... Oh, what if? Do we want to talk about that yet? Uh, yeah, that? I guess we can, because it's getting closer, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, we have our new... It's almost se- emergence day. Right, yeah. right. We have our new series coming out. Uh, what if? We're hoping for a mid-October launch. But uh, if any of our listeners have heard the What If series that we've done here on the show, you know, occasionally we'll look at uh, what we do. What if the internet never existed? Or what if Disney had never existed? Uh, what if Santa Claus was a real person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just things like that, you know, and their effects on the world. So we decided to dedicate a whole series to it. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at What If Series and just be in the know when that show launches. It's going to be good. That it is. A lot of good feedback on it. So, with that behind us, let's kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable. All right, Robin Williams. I feel like being that it's Mrs. Doubtfire's 25th anniversary, that's kind of where we should start. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I I loved that movie when oh I was younger. Oh, my God, yeah. I loved it. I, I quoted, I, I still find myself, like, subconsciously quoting that movie. And it's funny because... That's the thing with with Robin Williams. When I was young, I appreciated movies like that and his voice acting roles in Disney films, things of that nature. And I kind of grew up with him. You know, I started to appreciate him in serious dramatic roles later on, things like uh, Awakenings and all of these great movies where he puts in these, like, subtle, really intense performances. Goodwill Hunting. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. What about... was it photo booth? I see. Or I wanted to say that first. One hour I always photo. forget. One, one hour photo Ooh. where he was, God, pitiful and frightening and incredible yes. and just, just amazing. And I, I think he was, he was the real deal. He was a complete package. The man was an entertainer yeah. from bottom to top, and that's that's incredible that he could handle everything: the comedy, the drama. His range was incredible. It, it was. I, I struggle to think of anyone else who can. Who's equally adept? It's sort of both ends. Can just of walk the into any any kind of movie yeah. and make it work. And he's and just got full show. command yeah. of the situation. And you know, I I usually I don't get too broken up about celebrity deaths. I don't know these people. I'm not attached to them. I'll be upset that their time is over. But Robin Williams, it kind of hit me yeah, just because he's he's been there oh my throughout God, my yeah. whole life in one form or another. I've been enjoying his work, and it sucked. Mm-hmm. You know. We were five minutes away from starting an episode when we got yeah. news of it. And you can, if you go back and listen to that episode, you it, can hear just in our voices. Yeah, just it like, tints the whole thing. 
just utter disappointment. Yeah, I mean, it was horrible. But I know what you mean about that range. Um, and I, I would like to get back to Mrs. Doubtfire. Not that oh, I have anything yeah, I'm sorry. to, I to say, but no, 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 I'm taking it off. Have you ever seen August Rush? Anybody here? Yes. Oh, my God, that movie mm-hmm. is good. Yeah, I yes. thought so. A little cheesy, sure. but yeah. still good. Still really good. You what about get away with it in that time. Andrea, mm-hmm. Roberto, did you, uh, have either of you guys seen that? I have not seen that uh, film, uh, August Rush. I, I've seen so many of his films. Uh, my personal favorite is What Dreams May Come. Oh, yes, yeah. That's definitely a good so one good. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either, but mine was uh, Dead Poets Society. I like that one a lot. Oh, yeah, can't of beat course. It. Yeah, for sure. Well, in August Rush, what was so great about that is, uh, you know, they never, in the trailers and the posters, you never see mention of Robin Williams. Maybe he had you a get small down, part in that movie. He wasn't, I yeah. mean, it was a big part, but well, it was, he wasn't in it a lot. Yeah, it was about a group of, like, orphans in New York, I think, just that uh, kind of band together and steal a pickpocket uh, to survive. And August Rush, being one of these kids, the gifted guitar player, you know, uh, but anyway, the head of these kids was Robin Williams, like mm-hmm. this this homeless man. He kind of was done up like Steven Tyler, if I remember correctly. Yeah, just the cowboy the, hat. Yeah, yep. just kind of over the top. But uh, it was cool to see him like, holy shit, that's Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. You know, where did it, he come was from? almost like a parallel to, was it an Oliver Twist? The, uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of. There's that old man that sort of pulls the strings when the orphans mm-hmm. are all about. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. That's all I had to say. It was cool for him to pop up there unexpectedly. Yeah. Especially when he can play a, a kind of antagonistic role. Yeah, you know, Because sure. he's such an inherently likable dude. Like, he's got you immediately. Right. So to, to force you to dislike his actions, like, you, you have to fight it the whole time. It's, it's sure. interesting. The way that kid played guitar was amazing in that movie. It was. Yeah, like that hammering effect. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, uh, it was yeah, pretty cool. Nice. And then, like, it was just kind of corny how... His parents. One was a rock star. Together. And then, yeah, at the end, he was the orphan from the two parents that got separated. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted to punch the kid by the time it was over, but that's just my own demented, my own Still demented good. mind. Still good. Yeah. Still Indeed. good. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, how about Andrea Roberto? What do you got for favorite films from him? Yeah. Anything Robin Williams? Anything goes. Loose conversation well, here. Yes, like I said, certainly What Dreams May Come is my favorite, but uh, I would say Jumanji. I mean, I really enjoyed enjoyed him in Jumanji. Uh, that was just a very uh, great movie. Uh, Dead Poets Society uh, was another one that really, you know, as, as Roberto said, that that's one of his early films. Uh, and and his, he was electric, I thought, on Good, Bo- Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, I mean, yeah. to me, yeah. that was like oh, I forgot about that. That was like his coming out party in a lot of ways. Yeah, that, as soon as that, to me, that light film. came on, he just went off. Yeah, good yeah. morning, I mean, Vietnam. It was almost like a little bit of the the stand up comedian, the, the transition into that. But it was almost like him at the transit the the transition moment between the stand up comedian side of Robin Williams and the you know the actor, the the one who was going to be making some of these incredible films. And you figure that he did that only a couple of years before the Dead Poet Society and Dead Poet Society was an amazing film. Goodwill sure. Hank, another yeah. one. You know, uh just he he was as you said, he was it's going to be a while before you see somebody of that level. You know, you, you I often wonder when I think of of um Robin Williams and I I think about how tragic his life ended, I think about some of the other people like I one that I really liked that I don't think it was at the level of of uh, Robin Williams was Chris Farley 
Chris Farley was an incredible talent. And if you ever go back to his, um, oh God, I'm trying to think of the name of it now, the Tommy Boy. Uh, If you go back to his film, Tommy Boy, Tommy Boy has some slapstick humor in it, a lot of slapstick humor, but it also has some very powerful emotional moments where he's grieving his father's loss. He had, you could see that he had more to him than just the fat, funny guy. I absolutely, yeah. He never made that jump, but, but you could see that that film had the potential. Now, the reason why I bring that up is that somebody like Robin Williams actually did make that where he went from being just, you know, the stand-up comedian slapstick kind of humor to a guy who was capable of intense roles that were really yeah. uh, powerful films. Like I said, the one I like the best of his, What Dreams May Come, there's not anything funny in that film. No, no. Right, right. Uh, nothing at all. It's a very intense film, but the powerful emotions that come across there. I can't watch that movie without crying. And in fact, it's ironic that we mentioned this because that was a movie that heavily influenced The Shepherd for me. Um, that idea of the afterlife. Oh, yeah, that makes like, sense. And the transitions in the afterlife and the re- revelations of who that person would be. That yeah, it's, It was a very powerful film for me. Well, it's, and you know, I know personally, I'm a sucker for visions of the afterlife. Any interpretation of, you know, what comes next, whatever it is, I always find that really interesting in a movie because everyone brings a little something to it that's different. And I think what dreams may come in particular, it's just so, like, the fulcrum of the whole thing is emotion. Like, you've got the loss, you've got the sadness pulling people in all of these directions, and you see what effect that has it it, it hits you it's mm-hmm. just it's it's too real you know obviously we yeah. can't confirm that's exactly how things are going to play out but but boy it's it's almost hard to watch in some ways but you don't want to stop necessarily and i man i couldn't agree more with what you said about chris farley i feel like he really if he had had the chance to make that jump that would have been something so I feel yeah. like him and Robin Williams, you know, obviously very different approaches to how they do things. Robin Williams seemed like the kind of guy who could put on the character, you know, and wear it like a suit. And he was in it. He was there. And I think Chris Farley felt everything intensely. I feel sure. That was kind of the vibe. Like when he was in it, he was there 100 percent. And if he could have put that in a dramatic role, I think it would have been extraordinary. Agreed. Totally. Um because like like uh, uh, Andrea is saying, you can totally see it in yeah. Tommy Boy, and That's even in like real. Black He's Sheep, bringing or, that from somewhere genuine in his other films. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, He's just that, filled with a lot of empathy in that guy. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it's funny that uh, Chris Farley even comes up because um, one thing I've read online, and I, I never read an article where the two were compared. I just read these two things independently of each other. That both Chris Farley and Robin Williams, you know, as loud and as eccentric. As they were and appeared to be on stage and stuff that when you met them in person, really shy. More reserved. Really yeah. timid. Oh, really? Reserved, yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess it depends who you're talking to. You know, I mean, like, Robin Williams got his start at the comedy store, so I'm sure if, like, you were to see him in, like, a public setting, like, there, he's probably acting yeah. just because he knows everybody, comfortable with everybody. But, yeah, I'd heard people say, like, uh, you know, just like a once-in-a-lifetime meeting with him that he's just really reserved and quiet and didn't say much except for hi and bye. You know what I mean? That kind of makes sense. I watched a documentary. It was a Robin Williams was in it. It was about dolphins, and he was out swimming with the dolphins, and he was real 
I was real like serene and sedate and humbled when he was actually swimming with the dolphins because I don't know, it's just an experience sure. all on its own. Yeah, but you could yeah, you got you could to kind of see, see like the core of him as a person. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's making me sad now I talking know. about <laughs> all this. What about Bicentennial Man? You guys ever see that? It's, it's a lot of It's not my flag. favorite. Yeah. <laughs> what about you guys, Andrea, Roberto? I saw that movie. That's the robot where he's the robot. Yes. Right? Uh, Correct. Yeah, that that was a good movie. Uh, it's funny. It's not one of the ones that I think about uh, the most. I think I liked him best when he was intense, like the Fisher King. I love the Fisher love King. Love that movie. Um, I've seen that. He drew on some very deep reservoirs of of emotion um i i never knew that he struggled so much with the depression but uh, when i think about it having watched him in these movies i realize that 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 you know that's never really that far away um the other film that just cracks me up and i think about it, this is totally to the other side of the bird cage you know he was so <laughs> oh, yes that was like the old robin williams from the beginning when he was like mork you know from mork and mindy and the I don't know if you guys yes. even remember that show, oh, but yeah. that's like going oh, you know, yeah. back. Oh, yeah, that on DVD back. downstairs. I remember that. <laughs> and I think he's, didn't he start on Happy Days? I'm pretty sure that that's he how did. that character actually appeared the first time was on Happy Days. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that's a long time ago. Jeez, I feel old now. <laughs> the films that I remember him from were like, uh, you know, Jumaji, Dead Poet Society was my favorite one. It's actually the only one that I've watched even remotely recently. Um, there was the stuff that he did for like the genie in uh, Aladdin for Disney. Oh, yes. um, what's weird is like, I know he wasn't in this movie, but uh, he makes me think of the, the lovely bones movie. And I don't know why I can see the parallels between that and something like what dreams may come where you've got this kind of vivid afterlife theme going on, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's, that might be it. You bring up uh, Aladdin, and, um, you know, I have that on my list here, too, because talk about somebody not only just playing a character, but inheriting and becoming the character. Yeah. You know, they're... they're... Well, they built it for him. Like, that was... That character was built specifically for him. They animated out one of... um, Like, I saw a post about this. I thought it was really interesting that they actually animated out um, Genie doing one of Robin's skits, and then they showed it to him... Like, they'd already prepared it before even asking him, and that was what they brought to him to convince him to take the part. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, they built that role for him. Well, it yeah, shows. yeah. I mean, the genie even, like, resembles him, you know. A little, a little bit, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So, for sure, but um, can you ever imagine anyone else ever portraying the genie? No, no. You're gonna have to because they're they're doing the, the live action remake. Uh, so isn't that Will Smith? I've heard rumor of yeah. Will Smith playing the genie. So that has not sat well with me. No. Nothing against Will Smith. I enjoy Will Smith. His movies are typically pretty good. I, I see a lot of blank stares looking at me. No, I, not, no. I, I liked him a lot more back in the day. Lately, I'm like. Eh. I was the same way, but yeah. then I had to separate his family's actions from him. <laughs> it's so hard for me to it's do. It's hard to I, do. I get it. I follow your But logic. when you see his son at a wedding dressed as white Batman, you're like, come on. Yeah. Come I, on. Uh, oof. It would be the mature thing of me to do, to do that, but I, I can't come at you from an unbiased perspective. Sure. No, I get it. I understand. 
I understand, but I'm still excited to see Aladdin as as uh, the live action one rather because that was always one of my we'll favorites. See how it plays out. Yeah. You know, it's if you discredit something before it even happens. What's the point? Sure. The only one that misses out is you. So. Right. Um, what else do we have? It's uh, you had mentioned Mark and Mindy. Uh, one thing I found interesting, I was hearing Kevin Smith uh, talk about Robin Williams. I don't remember where or when. Not that it's relevant. But um, he was saying that he got to meet Robin Williams. He was he somehow got into like an autograph signing, and there were people lined up outside to talk with him. And um, I don't remember how it came up. Maybe somebody yelled "Hey, Mork!" at him, <laughs> and Kevin was like, "Oh man, when's the last time you heard that?" He goes, "What do you mean? That's all I ever hear." He goes, "Ninety percent of the people that flag me down is because of Mork and Mindy." <laughs> wow. I was like, really? There you like, go. That's crazy to think that's, about. That's that's the big demographic, I guess. That yeah. decade was the one that really... Well, I mean, that that shows Robin in a nutshell. I mean, yeah, he was yeah. just pretty much thrown on camera and just be yourself <laughs> in these yeah, suspenders and pretend you're an alien. Yeah. It's like opening a cage and letting some kind of animal out. And just yeah. Filming the carnage. You know, like, yeah, all right, we got it. That's a wrap. Right, right. But uh, damn, it was good. What other movie could have somebody that reverted... To a child, like he did in Hook, going from a normal person mm. turning Ooh, in back into Peter yeah. Pan. Well, not only that, but uh, what about the movie Jack? Jack, yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah that's right. Where he played uh, a child born at what age? What seven years faster than everyone? Yep. So yeah, like he was an adult by the time he was in like middle school, mm-hmm. and he was elderly at his high school graduation. That's that's rough. But uh, he played that well. I mean, he yeah. played that role so well. You played that speech at the end of that episode when we found out he passed, I think it was. I did. Yeah. I did, yeah. Like I said, it was minutes before, and I was like, i got to find something good. And when I found that speech, dude, I was like was tears so streaming. Good, yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> bravo! <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah, that was good. And a good movie. But Hook, man, yeah. that's mm-hmm. a good film. Are you guys Hook fans? I, I like that. I'd say that I even remember seeing it. I, I saw the movie and liked yeah. it. I think out of the all the, the new Peter Pan remakes of the movie, that's probably the one that stands yeah. out the most. There are some there. There are some yeah. moments that are horrible. <laughs> horrible. That I just I like even in the day as a kid, like when I was all about it, it was like, huh? But like when the alligator like falls on hook, like this is a dead taxidermed gator that just tends to disappear up the mouth of this thing. Like, so what happened? Did he crawl in? Did he eat him? Yeah. Didn't get that. But the worst moment for me is when they give that little girl a moment where she's like perched on a on the pier on this little uh, post singing a song and all the pirates are watching like falling asleep and shit. Oh, I hate it. I just want to push her into the water. I'm, I hate s- children. Second time I've said something bad about children. Maybe I have wow. a problem. I'm a little concerned here. <laughs> what have we gotten ourselves the into? Truth comes out. <laughs> Jeremy Colley's one-man war against children continues. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I guess I maybe shouldn't have taken those pills before we recorded. Huh? Exactly. Wow. <laughs> I love the disgust coming through. <laughs> what else do we have, guys? Anything? Patch Adams, you guys remember Patch Adams? I remember Patch Adams. I think but I very saw vaguely. that once. Yeah, that's about the, the doctor same film. Yeah, yeah. right. Loosely based on a, a real doctor by that yep. same name, but I think they exaggerated a, a bit. Yeah, uh, I would imagine for that film, that was good. I heard something about that movie, and 
There was something of a controversy with the Doctor originally, because what he did sort of... It spread this idea that, like, laughter is the best medicine, ho, 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 which is great, but when used to the exclusion of other medicines, like, it created kind of this negative attitude toward a lot of traditional medicine during that time, I thought, and with the movie coming out, there was a renewed sentiment that, like, oh, you can save a child just through the magic of laughter. It's like, yes, but also through all the science and hard work of the doctors. You know? right. So, <laughs> so it, it rubs some people the wrong way. Yeah, and I mean, if it truly were a cure for anything, you'd, you'd what see a patch, world we would patch Adam laughatoriums all over the <laughs> country and whatnot. But we YouTube would be the single greatest source of life saving <laughs> power in all creation. <laughs> we're losing him. Turn a cat video on. Oh, <laughs> he fell in the aquarium. <laughs> oh, to find out God. he was a big lover of video games was pretty cool. Oh, that's yeah, that was cool. That was named really his daughter neat. Zelda, right? Mm-hmm. And I might. Go After ahead. he had passed, uh, Warcraft actually made a homage to him. In did game. they really? Yeah, there's a genie that's... I, I still have yet uh, to find him, but he sits there and says quotes. Really? I believe of the genie from Aladdin, yeah. Huh. Hmm. He's just a static character that doesn't really do anything, but he's in there. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I at one point in one hour photo, the, the little boy, one of the main characters, he's walking around the store with this action figure. Robin Williams' character comes in and kneels down and picks up the toy and has a look at it and names it. And, and that toy I had read, well, first off, it was from an anime. that I'm not an anime guy. I've been through this a million times. But that one I like. Mm-hmm. And it's It's got a lot of cool concepts. And it was a toy from that show, which happened to be one of Robin Williams' personal favorites. And furthermore, that was his toy <laughs> that he brought on for the scene, which oh, just blew yeah, I my mind. I remember you saying something yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah that's really oh, neat. And he was lobbying really hard for a live-action uh film of that whole thing there there's a part in there he could have just knocked it right out of the park i've been seeing stuff recently about and who knows if any of it's true just internet crap but uh that he had originally been offered the role of the joker for the michael keaton batman film Uh, and then when jack nicholson you know became interested you know i think his star power probably trumped robin's at the time and got the role well then they later came back to robin for Batman Forever, and so we want you to play the Riddler, and he was like, "To hell with you guys! I'm, not <laughs> I'm, I'm the Joker." You know, <laughs> I think he probably would have done better as the Riddler, though. Personally, yeah, he would have been a better Riddler. I don't know if he would have been the right Joker. I don't. I know. think he's yeah. too genuinely funny. You know he's what a, I mean? He'd have been yeah. more of a Caesar Romero type Joker. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a hard time picturing him as the Joker or the Riddler. Actually, I would see him more as kind of a quirky Batman villain, like maybe the Mad Hatter, somebody that's a little bit off the wall. Yeah, um, would, yes. somebody like that. I you know, like that idea. That would yeah, be cool. Yeah, he'd make a no, solid Mad Hatter. You know, Mad Hatter never really made the jump to screen, though. I think he's just like a little too. Oh, silly. I think he could nowadays, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, his popularity well, they with had the games and the comics. And yeah, Gotham. I was going to say they did have him in Gotham. I think he worked okay. I mean, it's we were talking about a, uh, somebody who has mind control ability. Especially, I'm thinking how the Purple Man played in. Um, in uh, Jessica Jones on yeah. Netflix, and that actually works pretty well. It's pretty. I always jokingly tell people, "What power do you want? Super strength, uh, speed, flight? Nope, mind control." 
That, especially as a dad, I want mind control. <laughs> <laughs> the world's kind of your oyster at that. No, I absolutely. <laughs> exactly. These aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, but going back to what we were talking about earlier and his incredible range, you know, he could have taken that role and nailed yeah. it. He could have been the definitive Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, we would have been having an argument. It's like Heath Ledger is the Joker. That's Robin Williams. Okay, you know. No, I mean you. You say that now, but that's exactly what I was saying when they announced Heath Ledger was going to be the Joker. I was like, Jack Nicholson exactly. is the Joker. <laughs> Thank you very much. But boy, and you know, uh, to each of their credit, they both. <laughs> and then played. everyone said Jared Leto. Um, that's Heath Ledger's role, and they were right. Everyone was right. Yeah, they were correct. <laughs> that is not his role. <laughs> Oh, I did not like his no. Joker at all. <laughs> but um, at the same time, you know, a lot of people point out that Heath Ledger's Heath Ledger's Joker was a uh, just a different kind of a take of the character, the yeah. more anarchist yeah. uh, than mobster roots. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I guess they kind of play two different characters. It wasn't that, overt, but, but there was almost a hard political to edge yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah, disrupting the status quo instead of being dangerously mischievous and such. Well, I don't know that it's fair to say that uh, the Joker is necessarily that uh, far away from that just as a general take, just because he's so kind of like it's not so outspoken like that, where he's just trying to deliberately, you know, cause the failure of the system entirely. But he's always been kind of like that, you know, they mentioned agent of chaos, and that has always been what the Joker's been. Sure. Yeah, this is true. Mm -hmm. Like with the mob thing, there's. Yeah. Yeah, with the mob thing there's an order. Like it's a bad order, but it's still an order. And he's not really ever really trying to build up like this, you know, empire of wealth. It's just kind of about destruction and fun and, you know, murder. This is true. Yeah, he was having a good time the whole time in right. Batman. Yep. Yeah. He won that whole situation. Yeah. <laughs> I've been wanting to watch that movie again so bad. I've got uh, I don't know why. Dark Knight, I, man. It holds up and so I think good. it always will. Like, always will. Yeah. Um, a few more things here. Just I, I got to touch back on Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, this sure. is one we saw in the theater, and I was obsessed with. Like when it came to owning home movies, we you know <laughs> yeah. we'd go to people's house and they have shelves and shelves and shelves of movies and VHS. So you know we were took up so much space. We had more of like the Desert Island collection where we had like <laughs> five. So <laughs> like we never bought VHS, but that was one that the family had to bring home. We all loved yeah. it so much from the, going to see it at the movie theater. We just watched it so many times. I remember even as a child at one point thinking, maybe I could disguise myself and get into shenanigans. <laughs> Obviously, I never Not did. as easy as it looks right. when you've got a Hollywood makeup team, you know. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's a time I can't give a cheery hello without yeah. thinking yeah. of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or see, or I, every time I see Pierce Brosnan, I, I picture him getting hit in the head with that kiwi. <laughs> so yep. run my fruity. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that movie. Yeah, yeah I think it's time. <laughs> we actually, uh, after he passed away, we picked it up on DVD at Target for like five bucks, and I still don't no, think we've right. opened it out of the plastic. <laughs> crack it open. I need to crack it open. Uh, anything else, gentlemen? Before we move on, I think that's all I got. Yep, I'm good. All right. Well, uh, with that, let's move into a little Society Six T-shirt commercial Indeed. here. Not only T-shirts. Let's gracefully segue. I'm done trying to make the segue, and I'm I'm in pain. So the segues can just buy our shirts. Yeah, buy shirts. Society Six dot com forward slash Pod. Go now. You buy shirt, me happy. <laughs> That's the commercial. Go to the website, hit the merch link. You'll take you'll take you right there if you can't. 
spell society six. <laughs> it's a tough one. Yeah, because the, the number six, like an S, but, but yeah, it's the not, number six too, not uh, spelled not out. Spelled six. out. Yeah. Just go to the website and click the merch button. T-shirts, mugs, clocks, coasters, koozies. Oh my! Other things that start yeah. with C: bath towels, beach towels, bath mats, regular towels. <laughs> we should Society six dot com forward slash pod. Go get some merch. All right, the comic vault, gentlemen. Who would like to go first? This if you don't mind, I'd like to go first because uh, we were talking about the Joker. Well, that factors pretty heavily into what I've got this week. That's a nice segue, buddy. Thank you. (laughs) We were talking about it, so... (laughs) um, The relationship between the Batman and the Joker is this huge, huge subject that's been picked apart from every possible angle. And We've said it a million times, Batman's one of those characters that's kind of defined by his villains. You know, some people go so far as to say he's the least interesting person in his own setting because he's got this rogues gallery of interesting characters, but... What's going on between him and the Joker is fascinating because there's a little bit of love going in either direction. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And and this this comic I read, The Deal, really cranks that up to 11. It's definitely a reinterpretation of their relationship, but it's an interesting one, and it doesn't seem far-fetched. And I I don't want to tell you all the goings-on because that would just spoil it, and it doesn't take long to read this, and it's well worth it, but... um. First off, the art style is very striking. The word I want to use is grotesque. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean very exaggerated features. has a very sharp, almost brutal, emotional look to everything. Everything's kind of jagged and detailed and cragged. You know, it's 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 got kind of a brutish look to it, which is interesting. And uh, it opens up with Batman opening a box containing the remains of Alfred and having an absolute breakdown from there hard cut to uh, the Joker in this big smiling blimp, cackling to himself wildly, holding what's left of Alfred. And the conflict begins from that moment. And from there, yeah, it's a fight scene, but it's not much of a fight scene because obviously, you know, physically the Joker's no match for Batman, but it's once Batman has the upper hand and shows his continued unwillingness to get rid of the Joker, that's when it develops into this heavily psychological back and forth between the two. And it is absolutely fascinating. It's out there for free. It is not hard to find. It's Batman The Deal by Moonhead Press. You can find him on Twitter at Moonhead Press. It's super easy. Super easy. I to am reading on. that. I mean, in the first two panels, you had me. Yeah. Like, I, mean, already. <laughs> I opened it up and I was like, I wonder what this is going to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat there. It was super heavy. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, stop what you're doing. It's like 14 pages. So you've got the time. And yeah, I will it's absolutely it. worth it. Yeah. Where'd you find it? Comixology? No, just Google it. They've oh, got wow. yeah on their own little blog spot, WordPress, some sort of page, and it's just out there in the open for everybody. So is it like an independently yes. done? Yes, I mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, almost you a, a fan fiction that. of sorts. Gotcha. All right, very good. That's what I got. All right, Andrea, Roberto, would one of you guys like to go next? I'm happy to do so. Um, sure. I'm gonna be a bit of a homer. I'm going to apologize for that a little bit, but not too much. I'm sorry, not sorry. Um, I'm, the book that I read recently, uh, I'm actually helping, I'm responsible for bringing to Caliber Comics. It's a book called It Looks Back by oh, yeah. uh, a writer by the name of Jamie Branham. is a young man out of uh, Chicago. And basically, it is a uh, kind of a 
a mix of a, you know, the traditional gumshoe private eye. Uh, he has a guy come to his office and says, you know, a coworker of mine uh, died. They're saying it's suicide, but that doesn't feel right. Would you please look into it? And and so the the uh, detective starts looking into it. And uh, as he does, he kind of takes him into this Cthulhu-like Lovecraftian cult that's trying to bring this thing into our world. And uh, it plays around with what your perceptions are, how real is it? Is this detective losing his mind? And um, the creator, Jamie Branham, um, he uh, he does the art and the story and the letters. So he's kind of a one-man band in a very literal sense because he's also a bass guitarist. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, but he just got published. That graphic novel got published through Caliber Comics in 2017. And uh, I just think he's got all kinds of talent. I think he's stupid talented. Uh, he actually has another title with us called Nowhere that's may actually be even better. Um, he the only thing that scares me a little bit is all of his stories are like super dark. I like I fear for his wife. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, like you know, as you just keep, you just keep wondering. It's like at some point is this young man going to snap? And then you just see the headlines and you know. His wife, you know, she was a very nice person, and, and, and we found her stuffed in the refrigerator. Uh, you know, it's not good. So <laughs> got a practice worried saying, about oh, that, he was but so he's, quiet. he really is a talent. He really is, and um, that's it. I recommend that book wholeheartedly. You can get it on Amazon. You can certainly get it on Cam, uh, Comics Al, uh, Comicsology uh, and um, places like that, and certainly CaliberComics.com. But that is a uh, that's a really good book, and it's creepy as hell. What was the title? One more time. It looks back. It looks back. I'm gonna look that up. It's I'm kind of a play off. on that idea when you look. You know what was it Nietzsche that said when you look into stare into the abyss that it stares yeah. into you. I think that that's what he's that's what he's indicating. Love it. Awesome. All right. I love what that is... concept of you know once you become aware of something unknowable. Yeah. It knows about you too. You know you're never safe again. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Really good book. Really good book. Wouldn't read it just before you go to bed, though. Not bed. <laughs> oh. Unless you've got the guts. If you need to stay up, it's not a bad thing to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Roberto, would you like to go next? Sure. Uh, so I would say that one of the, and I guess uh, I'm actually caught between two. Like, I could talk about another caliber book, uh, Autumn, or have you guys ever talked about, or do you know of the book Lock and Key by Joe Hill? That name sounds it familiar. Does, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure Lock and Key is, you know, starting to gain some buzz. Like, I guess that there's going to be a Netflix series that Dad was talking about. Really good book, and it's it looks like it's gaining traction. Um, Autumn is a basically an older book that I guess. Wh- wh- when do you think we published that? Like, uh, probably like mid '90s or something like that. I think Dad? it was in the '90s that that got published. Yeah, I think I'll probably just stick with Autumn then, because I'm pretty sure everyone here is going to learn about um, the other one with or without me talking about it. <laughs> okay. Um, but Autumn is one of my favorite books on the table to talk about. Uh, it's a psychological thriller. Like the way that I describe it to people when I talk about it is that it's, it's not like a jump scare kind of thing. It's like cold fingers reaching through and grabbing your spine and then working their way up on you. Um, (laughs) it is, yeah, it's, it's basically set right after like what gets the ball rolling is that in, I think it's like 1942, uh, the Nazis are bombing the crap out of London during the Blitz. 
and three bombs sit successively deeper and deeper into the London Underground, and they awaken this ancient terror. Every autumn, this thing comes awake and just starts slaughtering people. And it kind of, the book follows this unhealthy obsession that this one guy gets with the killings. And he, like, can't think about anything else. He can't focus about anything else. He even went to, like, I think it was Egypt, but he ended up going back to London because he couldn't get it out of his head. And he keeps on investigating what's going on. And then finally he decides to take the plunge that he's just going to go in and face whatever this thing is. And it's it's a great book. Honestly, it's a, it's a great psychological horror. And going in on the time of year we are. Yeah, I got yeah, two perfect. new books I got to read now. Every <laughs> <Yeah>. time is <laughs> shrinking. Very good, very good. Jack, what about you? Would you like to do next? Sure, I'll go. From Dark Horse, a book called Sword Daughter. It takes place in... 991 AD, I believe it was. I'm already interested. Yeah. And I can't tell. Is that a country, do you think, that it's saying? It looks... There's a lot of, like... What is it? Nordic words. He's showing us a... Uh, let me see here. Almost looks like Icelandic. Maybe that's what or it was. Or Mamander? I think the D with the kind of strike through it, that makes a TH... Well, then, here, I'll let you pronounce it. <laughs> if I had to guess, I would say it's Ormamanuther, something to that effect. Huh. Or no, it might be like a DJ kind of sound. Ormamanuther. Is this you, relevant? You got me. <laughs> I was just wondering if it was like a country or maybe it was... No, I, none that I know of. Well, okay. this takes place probably in the Nordic area. And there was a, a family that moved to a new island. It started, you know, gaining a little bit of population uh, this husband and wife had a daughter when she was two. This Viking clan came, wiped them out, except for the father and daughter. The father was in a coma for ten years. The daughter ended wow. up living with nuns that they made her write scripture all the time. And she liked it because she would mess up and it let her write. I don't know if she ended up learning to speak very well, because later on in the book, when she does talk, it's kind of in picture. So I don't oh, know if it's okay. like sound effect or just... Sort uh, of crude. Yeah. But the father ends up waking up. Um, he's out hunting, and daughter's kind of watching from afar, and then he realizes who she is. And they go back to the village. The The father talks to one of the village members, finds out what happens, and they go on a quest to find the the Viking clan that killed and wiped out their whole village. And he plans on her just staying with the the village that she was growing up in, but she ends up, you know, tag along from afar. And one point... He runs into one of the, the Viking clan members that was off on his own and tries to, you know, get some information from him. Well, she swoops up from behind out of nowhere, stabs the guy. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, don't kill her. We need him alive. Jabs a sword right through his head. Ooh. And she's not interested in the taking no, prisoners. No, it's all Softly about vengeance. Yeah. <coughs> but that's basically where the book ends is there, the beginning of the quest to go find out, you know, to, awesome. to seek vengeance on that clan that wiped out their village. Hmm. Falls in that whole Nordic thing that I've been ah, stuck in the rut with with That's playing the good God of War. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Oh, I can't between get that and Hellblade, you're you're yep. in it deep. <laughs> I can't help it. Sword Daughter <laughs> by Brian Wood and Mark Chater, colorist of by Jose Villaruba. Villaruba, Rubia. It looks definitely uh, cool. I like by a series one. of people. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a comic by people for people. I'm wow. sad. That's my first Dark Horse book, I think. Ah, really? Yeah, I didn't even realize until I got here that it was Dark Horse. Wow. 
Very cool. All right. Well, uh, the comic book I have this week I found online is called The Fuhrer and the Tramp. <laughs> and It sounds fantastically offensive. It's featuring, uh, it, yeah, it does, but it's not. It's featuring Charlie Chaplin. I was just going to say it reminds Adolf me of Charlie Hitler. Chaplin. Yeah. And um, what this is is a very, very loose, I guess, comic interpretation of the making of The Great Dictator. Oh, wow. Mm. So, uh, but the comic uh, started with uh, Charlie Chaplin, like in character, you know, walking up to a big opening movie night in Nazi Germany, like at some big premiere that Adolf is going to be at. And uh, as he approaches, uh, you know, a few guards are like, oh, it's a Juden, you know, and they take off after him. Where's his star? So they, the whole time, like, there's antics ensuing as they chase him through the theater, at which point he swings on a rope through the screen, landing in the seat next to Adolf, takes his drink, his popcorn, eats it while Adolf is looking frustrated. You know, you, then you see the screen turn to black in the little hole. So I don't know if that's really happening or if that's just in a Charlie Chaplin film within the comic. Sure. But the next scene cuts to Charlie Chaplin, like the real person, like without his hat, without his mustache, without the gimmick at a party. And they're talking to him like, uh, heard about your latest uh, excursion over, uh, you know, to Germany. And again, I don't know if like he's going over there, getting in these real antics and just right. filming it. For the sake of making awareness, or if it's all like closed studio production, um, but uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, I've you know been doing these films for this reason. The guy's like, well, you know, why are you why are you being so opinionated on this? He goes, you should just let it go. You're going to ruffle people's feathers. You're going to draw attention to people you don't want the attention of. And he's like, somebody has to do this. Somebody has to make people aware of what's happening uh, to the Jewish people. You know. So uh, next thing you know, he's going home to his apartment, and it's all dark except for uh, one corner of the room where his girlfriend is, and she looks to be in like a nightgown or something. He immediately wants to get freaky with her, you know. So sure. he starts stripping off his clothes, like, "Hey, honey, let's let's have some fun." She's like, "No, no, 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 don't, really, don't." And he's like, "Ah, knock it off, you know. Quit telling me to stop. We're we're doing this." And he's taking his clothes off. He's down to his underwear, and she goes, "I'm telling you, don't, because we have company." And she turns a light on, and FDR is in a wheelchair <laughs> sitting there waiting on him to then talk about the creation of the great dictator. So I, that's where I left off. Uh, it was really that's a pretty ballsy subject matter. Yeah. It is, but it was done, uh, I thought, very well. Yeah. Uh, at least what I saw. I loved the artwork, and uh, just, I don't know. I, I don't know how, tr I don't know the real story, so I can't say how accurate. Sure, they take some liberties. They definitely do take some liberties because, you know, in the comic, like I said, Charlie Chaplin at that dinner party was arguing the fact, you know, we have to, I'm doing this because I, we need to get this knowledge out there. Where in real life, when Charlie Chaplin was asked about the great dictator, he had said, uh, if I really had a full scope of what was happening in Germany, I would have never done this film. Oh, wow. Because, you know, Obviously, no internet, no yeah. information just across the world in a second. You know, they, a lot of people didn't know the full extent of what Well, you've happening. got an entire government clamping down on information. Yeah. So it was definitely intriguing. Uh, check it out. Uh, the Great, or excuse me, excuse me, The Fuhrer and the Tramp. And we'll put uh, links on the website. I think it was just FuhrerandTheTramp.com. Forgot to write it Man, down that's here. That's pretty but wild. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I when I said it, you kind of got a look on your face like, oh, oh. But, no, uh, I, I, I trusted you. <laughs> Trust yeah. Me. Oh, no, I wouldn't do anything tacky. I, I didn't that. know if it it almost seemed like one of those titles like Crawdad's Welcome, where everything's just going to be kind of off the wall. You know, they just <laughs> needed something that's going to get your attention. I almost I, made the joke with Charlie Chaplin. And sure <laughs> enough, it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it uh, it was good. Again, check right it on. out. All right, and with that behind us, let's turn our attention over to Andrea and Roberto and talk about The Shepherd, The Path of Souls. Guys, thanks so much for being here. This was such an intriguing uh, subject. If I remember correctly, uh, Andrea, you had said that this it all originated from a nightmare you had where your son had uh, accidentally overdosed and uh, you were following him into like another world. Yes, I, I, that's definitely the case. It was based on a nightmare that I had about him, and uh, uh, it all flowed from that. So where does Volume 2 now uh, take the story? Um, that The origins of Volume 2 are very much based on the work that my wife does, believe it or not. My wife works for the VA, and uh, among other things, uh, she does a lot of counseling for uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. And uh, she also is a, um, a co-founder of a foundation that does weekend retreats for uh, veterans uh, oh, wow. and for active duty uh, personnel as well uh, that are suffering from post-traumatic stress, military sexual trauma, and I believe also traumatic brain injury as well. And that's actually located at a, in a little place called Odessa, Florida, which is outside of uh, Tampa. And uh, so I'm hearing about this all the time. And, uh, of course, she doesn't tell me names or anything, but she tells me, you know, the basics of some of the stories, the tragedies that these uh, veterans have gone through and how long they've carried this. Um, now, the good news in this is that uh, the, the treatment that they that they give these men and women uh, is getting more and more effective in terms of dealing with post-traumatic stress. Uh, in particular, my wife uses a treatment form called uh, accelerated resolution therapy or art, but it has nothing to do with, you know, drawing or painting, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but she once told me this story about a, a gentleman from Vietnam that uh, basically had seen a lot of really bad stuff. And um, he hadn't been able to sleep without nightmares since Vietnam. Now, you figure that's the early 70s that he would have left Vietnam. And ever since then, this poor man hadn't been able to get a decent night's sleep because of these reoccurring nightmares. And he had treatment with her and he saw her. I think it was like a week or so later after the treatment and he came up to her and said, so that's what it's like to sleep through the night. And even when I tell that story, it moves me deeply. Um, so I'm hearing these stories repeatedly about, you know, both the treatment, the success of the treatment, but also the burdens that these people carry. And uh, I started thinking about it and I thought to myself, just the writer in me took over and and I started thinking, you know, the post-traumatic stress is for those that come back. But what if a soldier fell in combat? Um, what if they didn't get a chance to get treatment uh, here? Would their soul experience post-traumatic stress in the afterlife? And wow. it took one second. I was like, oh, yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> we're, doing that we're definitely doing that. So I put a phone call into Berto and, and we started 
spitballing ideas around and uh, we imagine the idea of like a VA in the afterlife, like a hospital for veterans, for soldiers of all different cultures and time periods, because it is the afterlife. Uh, and then the ideas just started popping. And then it was a matter of Berto and I just sitting down and saying, okay, well, you know, who are we going to do? Uh, we want to do something that touches on different time periods. Um, and we'd like to have some diversity there in terms of the kinds of characters. And of course, what stories, what's their backstory? Because the backstory is going to be the, the most important component of it is as we evolve these stories. Um, and that's kind of like the origin of the, of the story itself of the path of souls. Um, so that's, that's kind of a long winded answer to your question. That's intriguing as hell. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. something I would have never, you know, thought about. I mean, that's a brand new path of thought. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and you, you know, they talk about you write what you know. And if these ideas, if your wife is always talking <laughs> about these things, <laughs> You can't escape it. So it's kind of like in your, you know, I, and I think that that's probably your best bet is to get the ideas from the environment that it, that surrounds you uh, to right. observe the world around you and write about that. So that's where the idea comes from. I like the idea of, of there being a kind of remedial force in this afterlife, because so often you think about um, you know, in fiction, people who have died in traumatic events, war, murder, things of that nature, and they create some vengeful ghost or there's all this emotion bent out of shape and it's this villainous element. But I like the idea that there's there's something out there that's trying to correct this, you know, that it's not a, a hopeless eternity of just remembering all these horrors. And I, yeah. I, I like the depth to that character. And, and I, I like that this figure, the shepherd, isn't purely uh find the villain and beat him up and call it a day right. there's there's complexity to it he's he's trying to be a solution in as many ways as possible and i that's really something you don't see that a lot you see a lot Thank of heroes you. who have a it's i saw some stupid quote i don't even know who i can attribute it to but it always resonated with me it's when all you've got is a hammer everything looks like a nail you know it's <laughs> you get these superheroes yeah. who like Oh, I can yeah. shoot fire. I have laser vision. I'm super yeah. strong. So they beat everything up and burn it and incinerate it and all that noise. But, <laughs> but this this is something altogether different. I really appreciate that. Well, it's very much influenced by things like um, you know Dante's Divine Comedy, and you may remember that D the Divine Comedy has three parts. Of course, the most famous part is the Inferno. You've got Paradiso um, and right, right the Paradiso and Purgatorio, uh, and th so it has the three parts to it. And frankly, I, I can tell you that having read the Inferno, I find it um, uninspired for me. Um, it's basically a series of ironic punishments for people. So, but, and it doesn't do anything for me because it's like, you know, you're 10,000 years into hell and you're like, oh, damn, I was a complete weenie. <laughs> I see it now with total clarity. Guess and I'll it's like, it does you no again, good at all. No, no good at all. So I'm just like, that does nothing for me. It just doesn't speak to me at all. Whereas with the, uh, when you read the Purgatorio, it's really all about this ascent, this, you know, uh, this kind of learning and growing and, and literally climbing. If It's like this mountain that you're climbing that's part of the, uh, the, the book itself. And I just found that so much more hopeful and, um, and helpful, too, uh, in terms of being able to speak to you. And, and that idea of, of um, 
you know, continuing to work on the the flaws and cleaning up the the mistakes and the and and coping, you know, being and even the idea of being forced, if you will, to see the errors and to really see them and to, and to, and just do be able to do something about it in some way, not just to be able to have empty vision, but but actually be able to do something about it. That's important. One thing you said in your email was that, uh, and this is a good thing for anyone who's interested in picking up the book. I mean, because especially now, especially nowadays in the world of comic uh, creators, you know, when you go to a comic book store, you know, you pick up something, uh, you pay $5 for it, you get home, you find three word balloons through the whole thing, and then you're done. <laughs> you're like, what the heck happened? Not the case here. Uh, this this book is uh, so big that it had to be divided into two sections, correct? Right. Yeah. It's uh, 183 pages, actually. Well, you know, both of us, like, got our starts in prose. So, like, we didn't start out, you know, even with the intention, either of us, um, in doing comic books. Sure. Uh, all of our previous writing ex- uh, experience was in prose. So, like, the whole long-winded thing is, you know, part of the deal. Just sure. comes naturally at that point, I imagine. Well, also, um, you know, that I've had to learn to cut that back. I mean, that's been the uh, one of the things that comes with the the writing of a graphic novel is realizing that you can't be long winded. You, you know, you have to, you know, I, the story uh, evolved uh, to a certain amount of length. Uh, but, you know, learning how to be able to work with your artists uh, and to be able to let the art help tell the story and realizing that you don't always have to tell the story with lots and lots of words um, to try to use economy in how you how you um, tell the story. So it's definitely an evolution as a writer in terms of how you write the story. Speaking of the story, and I, I'm sorry to kind of break, I've got to ask Roberto, since we have him here, as we did not have you here the first time, uh, after hearing the premise of the comic, I, I was very intrigued to know what your thoughts were when your father came to you and said, you know, I had this, I had this dream oh. about, you know, where, where you died and, you know, this and this and that happened. What were your initial reactions to that? I, I mean, I know if my father came up to me and said, I dreamt your death. I, yeah, I, yeah, you wish. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, Dad. Like, what was your initial reaction? The thing is, he didn't just tell me that I died. He told me, like, how I died in this. <laughs> oh, and, like... It was like, it's just, it was insane. like just completely so far from reality for me that it didn't even like, it didn't even register as something for me to be worried about. Like it right. wasn't like for me, it wasn't, there was no portent of doom. It was just like, Oh, nice. I like that. That's cool. That's a cool story. And then, uh, cause like the thing is I, you know, like the whole idea of like doing math, like my mom, I'm sure you probably talked to you guys about this last time being a social worker and stuff like that, sure. pounding it into my head all the time, not to do drugs and stuff like that. The worst I've done in my entire life is I smoked weed three times in college. And that was like, that was it. So the idea I think that we're I going to have to cut this interview short. Yeah, right? we've got to gotcha. go. I'm sorry. <laughs> gotcha. You know, cop sirens <laughs> and stuff like that. But uh, the idea that I was going to die to a meth overdose was so absolutely ridiculous to me right. that, like, you know, there's, you know, but like the in terms of like the actual story and stuff like that, I loved it right from the start. Like, I thought it was awesome. I thought the entire concept was cool. Wanted to see it get done. And then, you know, just kind of kept on nagging at dad to, you know, work with me on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of an idea. It's a great idea. Uh, that journey into the unknown. But, um, 
Yeah, and I just want to make clear that I never was actually uh, thinking that maybe you had tried meth or done meth or anything. <laughs> no, I mean, it's no, very no, apparent no. from the beginning, like when I met you guys, that you're very uh, wholesome, down to earth, not into that kind of crap. I guess that's maybe what made me ask the question was being so far removed from what you probably normally are uh, doing or into. Like, but that was a good answer. That's I can't imagine. I can't imagine. <laughs> So how do people get their hands on this book, gentlemen? Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, certainly, uh, you go to cal- uh, calibercomics.com. You can get it there. Um, you can also get it uh, through Amazon. Uh, Comixology is going to be coming soon. I don't believe it's up until for a few more days on Comixology, and it'll be run out issue by issue, uh, you know, in the succeeding weeks, I think it starts in like mid September. If I remember what my publisher told me, Mm -hmm. uh, you can also order it. And we would encourage you by the way, uh, to order, uh, volume one and two through your local comic book store. Uh, you have, uh, the, the second volume that we're talking about here, the, um, uh, path of souls, uh, you could order it in, it was previewed in, it was in diamond previews, um, July 18, uh, 1717. So in other words, uh, the, the code that you need to have is J U L 18, 17, 17. And, um, it, they also, uh, they also previewed, uh, in, in the July 18, um, previews, they also had volume one as well. And that would be July J U L 18, 17, 16, uh, for the, for volume one. Okay, and we'll throw links up to all the different yeah, uh, yeah. powers that be. It looks like you're pretty much everywhere, so which is uh, which is really good. But yeah, those local comic book stores—that's the if, if you're interested and you have a store you frequent, definitely do that because I imagine that's much more impactful in your guys' end. Yes, but we also want to encourage people to support their comic book stores too. I mean, mm-hmm. we you know we love going to. You know, I, here in West Palm, uh, the comic book store I visit is called Past, Present, and Future. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I walked in there to just get my fix. And I shouldn't even say this. My wife's in the other room, here in the room to <laughs> hear that she's, she knows I'm buying comics when I shouldn't be. But, uh, uh, but I went in there, and uh, they had the previews, and that was such a rush to walk into your, you know, your your comic book store and pick up the previews and realize that you are in that previews. That would be and cool. Would, yeah. You know, and the last time I was in there, the guy who is the cashier who I talked to from time to time, I walked in, just, you know, nodded to him and was, went to the stacks. And uh, he said to another guy, I heard him say it, you know, he said it kind of hushed. He said, you know, that guy writes comics. And I was like, holy crap. You know, I was like, it felt good. You know, it felt, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not looking for anybody to, you know, ask for my autograph or anything like that. But it was just nice to have your comic book store support you like that, you know, um, and to, to be, to have your back. And um, that, that felt good. So, Yeah. Yeah, so we—it's really important, I think, to support the comic book stores, um, and also the you know the, the letting them be a place where people can gather and share uh, the love for the characters and the stories and argue Absolutely. about who would beat up who, you know, and that sort of stuff, you know. Nothing beats physical copies, in my yeah, opinion. No, I mean, how many times can I There's say something it? reading on it. a tablet <clears throat> puts me out? I might as well take sleeping pills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
But uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for being here. This has been a blast. We hope you've had a lot of fun. And again, to our listeners, The Shepherd, The Path of Souls. Uh, Again, we're going to have links on our website or head to your local comic book store and ask for the physical copy. That's what I would probably do. Indeed. Personally. So again, Andrea, Roberto, thank you so much for being here, gentlemen. My pleasure. Jack, what do we have on the website? Write this down. www.candarepodcast.com Too fast. Sorry. No, I'm kidding. We have links to... (laughs) There you'll find all our links to our social media, to our guests. Check out some of our special guests. Find where our merch button is. Click on it. Our Patreon button. Click on that. Check out some of our YouTube videos. And send us an email. We'd like to hear from you. And don't forget, on Facebook and Twitter, that is at CandarePod. And on Instagram, we are at Canned underscore Air. There it is. There it is. And, you know, just to tease people a little bit... I think for our Halloween episode, we have we're going to have some Friday the Thirteenth uh, actors in here, actors, uh, some, some alumni, some, some alumni, alumnus. alum. And I'm not talking Freddie and Jason, or I'm not talking Jason X. I'm talking Part Three in 3D, the for real son. Deal. The real deal. The <laughs> movie where we first see Jason in the hockey mask. Yeah, that's wow. a big deal. That is a big deal. So uh, if, if you're into those movies, you're into Halloween. And really, why right aren't up. you? Why wouldn't yeah. you be? Yeah, I was about to say, I'm not sure when that's coming up, but Halloween, so <laughs> pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. It's our Christmas special. This Maybe year. I need to stop the happy pills. <laughs> Just deal with the pain, right? Uh, and again, What If, uh, our new series. Uh, follow, find us on Twitter at What If Series and on Facebook. Give us a follow. Be in on the know when that launches. There are links to uh, episodes we've done here on Candare that are going to be similar to the format we're doing there. So if you're curious, check them out. Or just go back in the Candare catalog. Uh, what else, gentlemen? Am I forgetting anything? Uh, Wizard World. Wizard World. Wizardworld.com. When you're buying your tickets, go into those conventions. Use Candare at checkout. No space. Get 10% off. What more do you want from us, people? Yep. Think we're going to show up and take you to the con? <laughs> yeah. Jesus, Pete. You want me to hold your hand? Right. All right. Well, I think that about does it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I am Jack Doherty. I am Jake Runyon. I am Roberto Molinari. And Andrea Molinari. Thanks for listening, everyone. Come together right now over me.
did it. Hold on there, Mervyn. Wow, it's Flint. It's one thing to break a window, but it's another to blame Simple Billy. You should be inside listening to the Candare podcast. What about the window? I guess you shouldn't have broke it. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Jake smells like urine. You know what? You can eat my balls. <laughs> I'm Jack Doherty, and sitting next to me is Piss Boy. We call him that because he smells like piss. <laughs> you know, it hurts. It's not about the attitude. Attitude's fine. Just the smell. Just the piss. Just urine. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts.